you in your Bibles to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. We're beginning a new series called Paradox. Paradox. You guys know what a paradox is. Paradox is when two realities exist in relationship to each other, and they seem to contradict each other. They seem to conflict with each other. But in truth, they exist together uh, as a a truthhood, as as a truth. And they don't conflict. They work somehow. We have paradoxes all throughout our world. Some of them are spoken paradoxes, um, phrases that we use. We call some of them oxymorons. You've heard of oxymorons, right? Um, one that we use a lot in Texas is pretty good, right, or pretty ugly. How do you have something that's ugly and pretty at the same time, right? It just works for us, you know, or uh, awfully good. You ever heard that? That pie is awfully good. I had somebody say to me not long ago, definitely maybe. Are you coming to the party? Well, I don't know. Come on, you got to come to the party. Well, definitely maybe I'm coming, right? It works. Not only are there words that are paradoxes, seemingly conflicting things, but that do work in relationship to each other. There are images, images that are paradoxes. I want to share a couple of them with you today. Look at this first one here. Is it an old woman or a young lady? (laughs) The correct answer is yes. (laughs) How many of you see the old woman? Raise your hand. How many of you see the young lady? How many of you see both? Okay, you're using both sides of your brain this morning, all right? Let's look at the next one. Is it a duck or a bunny? Yes, both. How many of you see the duck? How many of you see the bunny? Okay, not quite as many. How many of you see both? All right, a lot of you see, see both. Here's the conversation we have. It's a duck. No, it's a bunny, <laughs> right? We get into arguments about these conflicts. So who's right? Well, both. Who's wrong? Both. <laughs> because it's more than a duck, and it's more than a bunny. Again, Seemingly conflicting truths that actually do work together. Now, the Christmas story has many beautiful and profound paradoxes. And we're going to look at some of them as we look at Christmas in contrast. In fact, the Apostle John loves to use paradoxes in contrast as he's communicating truths about who God is. He uses contrasts like light and dark and love and hate and truth and error as a way of communicating what is true about who Jesus is. So in the Gospel of John chapter 1, he is doing exactly that. He is going to talk about God becoming man, the paradox of God and man as in Jesus. So look in verse 1. Here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, up to this point, he's talking about the word. We might not know who he's talking about. He goes on. You skip down to verse 14. He says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, who is full of grace and truth. Jesus, the God-man. 100% God as if he were not man. 100% man as if he were not God. It's a mystery. It seems not to be true, and yet it is. And at Christmas time, the incarnation of Christ is all about Jesus becoming man as God. And John uses a phrase, he uses a word to describe the nature of this paradox. And that word is the actual concept of word, word, Jesus being the word. What does that mean? 
This is such a brilliant thing. I mean, to me, it's evidence of how uh, divinely inspired the Word of God is. Because this concept of the Word, I know we don't think deeply about this much, but you go, well, what is a Word? A Word is a physical, tangible thing. It can be heard. It can be seen. It can actually be touched. If I had block letters up here, we could touch the Word that was here. But it also, though it has this visible and tangible and material quality, it also has an invisible quality. So the word T-R-E-E is not a tree. It reflects an image of a tree. It, it, it talks about something beyond itself. It represents a tree. So a word is immaterial, but it represents something beyond itself that is immaterial. Now that, this, that sounds just like the God-man paradox, doesn't it? God who is invisible, who is transcendent, who is immaterial, who is spiritual, And yet man, who is physical, material, can be heard, seen, touched, was a physical manifestation. That's the word. We go further to understand this this idea of the word concept, that the word is a communication tool. Isn't that true? Words are communication tools. And they have power for meaning. And with every word or with sets of words, there are some things that are going on. There are some characteristics. This is why this is so brilliant. First, there's intent. With every word or sets of words, there is intent. There's intent in the communicator. In the heart and mind of that one who is communicating the words, the one that is speaking, there is motivation, there is purpose. I'm saying some things to you today. I have a motivation. I have an intent. I have a purpose towards you. So Jesus being the word, notice not a word, but the word, says something about the intent of God, the heart of God. The question is, what was in the heart of God by sending Jesus the word? Jesus reveals God's heart. But there's a second component to a word or sets of words. There's a mode. There's always a medium by which words are communicated. There's always a means, a method of delivery by which words are spoken or written or formed. In other words, there's always a deliverer. There's always a messenger. Who says something, you know this to be true, who says something that is the kind of person who is saying that thing is just as important as what is being said. Isn't that true? You believe what someone says based upon who they are, or you don't believe them based upon who they are. So the who of what is being communicated, the who who is doing the communication is really an important thing. And so there's this idea of how did God speak? What was the manner in which he spoke? He could have used all different forms. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible says that up until the point of Jesus, God spoke in various ways through various things. But in the final days, he's spoken through Jesus. How did he speak through Jesus? The question here is what is God saying through the way that he spoke? Jesus was God's way to speak. And it's unique and it's powerful. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But beyond the intent and the motivation of the one communicating, beyond the way that it's communicated, there is the actual substance of the communication, the content. The actual content of what is said. This is the what of the communication. So we look at the substance of the teachings of Jesus, the word of God, the words that he brought, but beyond that, listen, the truth that he embodied. You've got to get this. Jesus didn't just come to convey truth. He embodied truth. He didn't just come to speak truth. 
He said of himself that he was the truth. He is truth. He is the embodiment of truth. So again, what exactly was God saying through Jesus, the word? He is God's truth. What is the content of that word? All three of these things are really important if we're going to grasp the idea of Jesus being God and man. Here, here's the point. He's saying that Jesus is the word. And by saying that, he's saying that God is trying to say something to the world. God has something in his heart that he's trying to communicate to mankind. And the way that he did it and the substance of what he said is very important. So God is speaking. Are we listening? And he's speaking ultimately, primarily, decisively, finally, through the incarnation of Christ. When God became man. But I tell you, there are people who try to resolve that paradox. They're very uncomfortable with you know, this tension. They want to say, well, Jesus was just God. You know, there were people in the first century that could not live with that paradox. He couldn't be God and man. So people would say, well, he's just God. He's a God. No God could act like the man Jesus did. There are people in today's world that have a tough time with Jesus' humanity, that he was a human, that he was a man. There are those that would say, Jesus was not God, he was just a man. He was a good moral teacher. I mean, he was an important man. He was a historical figure, very important, very significant. But after all, he was just a man. He was not God. Now, John wrote the gospel. One of the reasons he wrote this gospel, the primary reasons, is that he could clear up this confusion about the nature of Christ. And so here in verses 1 through 3, he talks about the essence of Jesus in who he, who he was, who he is. He talks about first Jesus' deity, that he's God. Look at what he says here. First of all, he mentions Jesus' eternal existence. Now, you would think if Jesus was God that he would exist outside time and space, right? That's exactly what John says says, in the beginning was the Word. Before time, before space, in eternity, Jesus existed. Jesus was there. One of my kids asked me when they were young, I can't remember which one it was. I can't remember how old they were. I'm getting old, but <laughs> I remember us having a conversation one time where they, they asked, hey, hey w- where did God come from? Uh, you know, was God born? And I said, no, God always was. You should just, I could see the wheel spinning in the minds like, what? It's hard to imagine that God always was. God didn't have a beginning. Jesus was in the beginning. He stands outside space and time. He is eternal. Next, John mentions his divine nature. If, if Jesus was God as he claimed to be, He would exist in divine space, outside of the earthly realm, in divine relationship, not of the earth, not of flesh, unlike man, holy, pure, just, and perfect. Here's what John says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He stands outside of the earthly realm. He's transcendent. But then finally, if he was God... He would create, not be created, right? 
his creative power would be evident. Here's what John says. Listen, the word, all things were made through him. And just to be sure you understand the point, John goes further and says, without him was not anything made that was made. (laughs) Says it in a positive and a negative way. So he he is talking about the deity of Christ that he is God, but it doesn't end there. He goes on and talks about the implications of that. And then down in verse 14, he reveals another important truth for us at Christmas time. In verse 14, he talks about Jesus' humanity. He says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Folks, that is such a beautiful and profound thought at this Christmas. I, I just I hope that you can wrap your heart and mind around that that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father who is full of grace and truth. God, man, man, God, both being equally true. And so only in the God-man equation, only in this reality is the beauty and the glory of God. I would say to you that that the glory of God is diminished. The, the truth of Jesus is diminished if we go to one extreme or the other. But by both of these things being true, we see how beautiful and profound and mysterious is the God that we give glory to today and the God that loves us. By being God, he is eternal, but by being man, he entered our time and space. That says something to us about God. By being God, he is separate. He is distinct from us. He is holy, holy to forgive my sins, but by being man, he became like us to not only be able to forgive my sin as God, but to understand my sin and my weakness as man. Because he is God, he is creator. But by becoming man, he subjected himself to the realm of the created to make himself low to the point of being born as a baby in a stable. This is the God-man, Jesus. And so, God is saying something. What is it? Three things, I think. Number one, through the word Jesus, he is saying that he is real. God is real folks. And had he never become a man, we would relegate him to the heavens. Him being transcendent. But he's not just transcendent. He is imminent. He is not just high and lifted up. He is low and close by. And the incarnation of Christ means that he interrupted history to say, I exist. I am real. He became a historical physical man on this earth so that God would intrude our space and time and to say something about who he is. And it's so powerful. He's not just some nice thought. He's not just some notion. God became real. He wore flesh and blood. He, in essence, got in our face to say something. Through his supernatural birth, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, all this so that he might become more than a nice thought to you and me. that he would become something real and substantial in our lives. And for those of you who've trusted Christ as your Savior and you're seeking to authentically 
follow him, you know that presence. You, you, you sense that presence. I was thinking about that this week. I was not raised going to church and had no conception of God. I, I actually had conceptions. I had misconceptions about who God was. But somebody shared the gospel of Christ with me when I was 17 years old. Never attended church. Somebody shared with me the love of God. And I got on my knees and I asked Christ to be my forgiver, my savior. And I woke up the next morning different. And I was pondering this week, from that day to now, I have never been alone. Never been alone. On my worst days, I'm never alone. And I think we become so familiar with the presence of God that we begin to take it for granted. Where would you be without the presence of Christ in your life? Where would I be? I shudder to think about it. He's real. There's a 49-year-old man who wrote about the presence of God in his life. I want to share it with you because I think thousands of authentic followers of Christ could say this very same thing about their own lives. Here's what he said. He wrote this in a letter. He said, God is more real to me than any thought or thing or person. I feel him in the sunshine in the rain. I talk to him as to a companion in prayer and praise. He answers me again and again in strong mental impressions through a text of Scripture, unfolding some new view of him and his love for me and care for my safety. I could give hundreds of instances in school matters and social problems and financial difficulties that I face, that he is mine and that I am his never leaves me. It is an abiding joy. Without it, life would be a blank, a desert, a shoreless trackless waste. Thank God that he is real. But beyond that, he is relevant. It's one thing to be here. (laughs) It's another thing to actually make a difference. Not only is he there in presence, he brings life change. Jesus' enduring relevance, the reason that we still talk about him today in 2016 The reason he is relevant today is based upon his historically proven ability to speak to, to heal, and to change the human condition. He changes us by his presence. He is relevant to everyday matters and everyday concerns and everyday parts of life. He matters because of what he brought and what he still brings to ordinary human beings who are living rather ordinary lives. He makes them extraordinary. He is relevant to living. And when you fully grasp that not only is he God, but he is man, both of those things together, then you you have to do something with that. You have to say, Jesus wasn't just God, but he came to make a difference in my life. It's a force that you must reckon with. What will you do with Jesus? His relevance is profound. Dallas Willard wrote a book of, years ago, called The Divine Conspiracy. Folks, it's a great book. If you've never read it, you should get it, because it's a powerful book. I want to read part of it for you. It's a little bit of a long section here, but hang with me, because this is really important. Listen to what he says. He says, We, being ordinary, have been made the receptacle of the divine. He 
If he were to come today as he did then, he would carry out his mission through most any decent and useful occupation. He could be a clerk or accountant in a hardware store, a computer repairman, a banker, an editor, a doctor, a waiter, a teacher, a farmhand, a lab technician, or a construction worker. He could run a household service or repair automobiles. In other words, if he were to come today, he could very well do what you do. He could very well live in your apartment or house, hold down your job, have your education and life prospects, and live within your family, surroundings, and time. None of this would be the least hindrance to the eternal kind of life that was his by nature and becomes available to us through him. Our human life, as it turns out, is not destroyed by God's life, but is fulfilled in it and in it alone. He could live your life and do it with the quality of eternity. Do you know what that means? It means that you can too. Because he is here in you. And he brings life, extraordinary life, to that which is very, very ordinary. He is a difference maker. He's relevant. And then finally, he's relational. (laughs) God could have dropped a note on a fish hook from heaven. <laughs> he, he could have spoken many different ways to you and me. He didn't do that. He didn't drop down to us a moral code. He didn't drop down to us a value system. He didn't drop down to us a whole list of rules of do's and don'ts. He gave a person. You know how God spoke to you? Through a person who wore flesh and blood. Who became meek and mild. Who was born as a baby. The way that he came says something to you about the one who came. His commitment to you that though a king he would be born in a manger. And though having all power, he would limit his power to become weak. And though holding the keys to life, he would die on a cross. You see, the first century world could understand someone dying for a king. A man dying for a king happened all the time. What they could hardly grasp was that a king would die for man. And that's what Jesus did. The CEO of the universe who existed in eternity, who stood outside time and space, who was of the heavenlies, who had all power, all holiness, all purity, came to this earth for you and for me to be real, to be relevant, and to be a person by which you could have a relationship with you, me, have access to a relationship with the eternal God through Jesus the Word. Not a religion. A personal, loving relationship with a living God. It just doesn't get any better than that. That's the truth of Christmas. God is saying something. Those Angels declared glory to God in the highest to those shepherds. He was interrupting history, time and space. 
He was intruding upon us because he wanted to say something to us. God is screaming to us that he loves us. That he would give his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This Christmas, wrap your mind and heart around the idea that Jesus was both God and man. We like the nice little notion of a cute little baby in a manger. That baby was God. And he would grow up to live a sinless life. And he would grow up. He was born to die. The word Jesus, God through the word is saying something to you. Are you listening? Will you listen this Christmas? Let's bow in prayer. I want to ask you just to reflect and to respond just for a moment. And consider the truth of God and man. It's a a mystery. And yet both together mean so much. And the display of God's heart, the unique way in which He sent a word to us. And then the actual truth of that word, all of those things mean so much when it comes to Christmas. And so would you, in this moment, just give and re-give your heart to the one who is God that became man for you. And Father, we thank you. We can't even comprehend, God, what it means for the eternal creator of the universe to become like us and for us. That he would exit eternity and break through our time and space to be born as a baby to wear flesh and blood to grow tired like us to face temptation like us to grow weak and yet do so with the quality of eternity That same quality is ours through the presence of Christ in our lives. So help us, God, to live in relationship with you in such a way that you become real and relevant and that our lives are different because of Jesus, the Word. We praise you for this Christmas time, God. We praise you for what it means. In the midst of all the shopping and food and family and all the activities that are going on, may the central core truth of your love shine like a light in darkness. May it illuminate our hearts with peace and joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen.